0: You're listening to From Woke to Work, the anti-racist journey. My name is Kamala Avila-Salmon, and I got to be real with you. A Black square on your Instagram does not make you an anti-racist, but there is a path. Join me as I guide you from becoming aware of racial injustice to actually doing something about it. Whether you're an ally ready to take action, or just a Black person looking for someone else to answer all those ally questions, you're in the right place. It's time to go From Woke to Work. Hey guys, welcome back to From Woke to Work, The Anti-Racist Journey. I'm your host, Kamala Avala-Salmon. In the last episode, we talked about some of the limits of awareness. It's not enough on its own, and it is not action in and of itself. Hopefully that chat inspired you to go deeper into the funnel on your way to being a true, effective anti-racist. So let's get into the second level, sympathy. Now, I know this one sounds kind of obvious, but you'd be surprised by how many people who are aware of racial injustice, who read the news stories and the subsequent social media outrage when yet another unarmed Black person is killed by the police, or a vigilante civilian, or, you know, just a good old white supremacist, they see it and they just keep on scrolling. We talked about this in episode one, but I think one of the most significant elements of the phrase Black Lives Matter as a call to action is how humble its claim is. It's not saying that Black lives are better. It's not even saying that Black lives are awesome, that Black lives should reign supreme. It's simply saying that they matter. That's it. But even that is a radical claim in a white supremacist nation. I think that this gets to the heart of why and how people can be aware of anti-Blackness and not feel anything about it. No anger, no sorrow, no regret. It just rolls over them. Another mundane fact to be explained away, if acknowledged at all. And while feelings are not everything, feelings are also not nothing. Feelings do matter. When you hear of your fellow citizens being mistreated, attacked, killed, excluded, it should hurt you because they are human, just like you. So for this episode, I want to talk about sympathy and why it matters that on your way to actually taking action to reject a racist world order, you actually spend some time kind of feeling bad. If the state-sanctioned death of your fellow citizens does not deeply disturb you, there is likely something else going on that needs to be addressed. Do you feel that the black people involved brought it on themselves? That if they had only listened or complied or been deferential or showed respect or just stayed out of trouble in the first place, everything would be fine. Is this why sympathy is so hard to access for some? So for today's show, I invited my good friend, Crystal Marie McDaniel to help us unpack sympathy. She's worked for major brands like Disney, Nestle, and Magnolia, and currently manages the Hispanic Outreach Strategy for Duke Energy. She also loves writing about everyone's favorite uncomfortable topics, faith, politics, race, relationships, and current events, having been published everywhere from the New York Times to Very Smart Brothers to Relevant Magazine, just to name a few. She is also the mother of a beautiful young Black boy like me. So this conversation around state-sanctioned violence against Black bodies is a very personal one. And for the last several years, we've had an ongoing text thread about racial injustice with another friend of ours that could basically be titled, Really, America? We're doing this again? Crystal Marie, welcome, welcome, welcome to From Woke to Work. How are you?
1: Great. Happy to be here. Excited and really proud of the work that you're doing to have these conversations. are super important.
0: Thank you so much. So as I said, you know, we're going to talk about sympathy, which for some may seem like a topic that we don't even need to discuss. It sounds pretty obvious, but for some reason, some people, it just doesn't come natural. And I want to talk about why some people faced with the fact of racism don't actually feel anything in response to that at all. The dictionary definition of sympathy is the fact or power of sharing the feelings of another especially in sorrow or trouble, fellow feeling, compassion, or commiseration. Crystal, I'd love to hear from you. Can you talk about why you feel like sympathy is actually a really important response to racial justice and how you've seen that expressed or not expressed by non-Black people in your life?
1: Sympathy is the thing that reminds you that you and this other entity or being that you have a feeling for have something in common one of the things that has often been so disheartening for me is when I see people that seem to have a reserve of sympathy for maybe it's an animal, maybe it's a pet, not even their own, someone that looks like them, someone that prays like them, someone that they just feel is vulnerable or pitiful in one way or another. It's interesting to see how that is doled out. And my immediate response is to think, this person is a horrible human being. They love animals, but they hate Black people. And that may be true. But I think it's probably a little bit more nuanced than that. I believe that all of us living in America and really any parts of Western society and probably the world have been breathing a toxic air of racism. We, And, and I say that including myself. One of the great things about being a Black woman, and so often we talk about the burden of being a Black woman. You cannot pay me to be anything else because we live at that intersection of what it means to be a woman, which is marginalized this is in us in one way and what it means to be a black person or a person of color and what it means in that respect. I believe that we are so quick and many, many times there are certainly some exceptions whose names I won't share, but we are so quick to say, I know what it feels like to be left out or to be other. And I want to support you. How can I help you? And that is a gift. That is a beautiful gift that I'm so glad that I have. But I think for other people and and for for some of us as well, because we've been breathing that toxic air that tells us Black people are not the same as you. They are not human. They don't deserve. And it's just in our history. From the beginning, we were treated as property, as less than the animals. And so when you pass that down in your family, when you see a missing white girl, it's all over the news. And when you see a missing Black girl and it maybe it makes one or two outlets, but it's not front and center as if it was someone else, you're constantly being told this person does not matter as much. And so because we're consistently fed that belief, I believe that is where it's hard for some people to feel that that sympathy because they've been constantly told and constantly shown directly and indirectly that that black lives don't matter or they don't have as much value. And, and that's why you alluded to it before, maybe a black person, if they had just complied, if they had just done this thing, It helps them to feel better about the injustices that happen, but it just isn't enough.
0: Part of why sympathy doesn't seem to be an automatic response when it has to do with something that impacts Black people is that very often people do look at Black people as other, as different, as distant from their own reality, right? And I also think it was interesting that you mentioned the sympathy that some people are able to have for animals or the sympathy that they're able to have for cases of injustice against um, non-Black people or kids. I remember the Cecil the Lion example. It caused an international media sensation when Cecil the Lion was killed, right? And, And there was outrage around the world. And I remember it vividly because it was like, while I understood what people were saying, I was able to immediately contrast that with what happened that same year when another black man or woman was killed. And the volume of posts that I saw from my non-black friends about Cecil the lion was like two, three, four times what I saw, right? And it's like, it, it does cut you. It makes you feel like, damn, are we not real to you in the same way that a lion that you've never met is, like I think it does get to something that is worth talking about. Because to me, sympathy is really about two things. One, it's about a recognition that Black people are human just like you, right? And then the second is that it really is about an awareness that whatever injustice has taken place likely wouldn't have happened to them if they were not Black and i think that's the piece that a lot of people really don't want to engage with and it prevents them from feeling sympathy because to your point it's like if you have a belief that systemic racism is not an issue you see every individual case as oh there must be some other reason right it's not just that when these things happen and and it's not just police violence though that's the most sort of prevalent example It can be everything from being excluded in the workplace, working at a predominantly white institution and not seeing any leaders above you, not being fairly compensated, educational inequities, like the list goes on. There's so much grief that has to be processed when it comes to anti-Blackness in this country. And it doesn't always feel like our non-Black citizens, friends, colleagues, whatever the case may be, are really processing it. And so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit, just how do you process some of the grief around the various examples of anti-Blackness in our country?
1: I am not able to keep things to myself, for better or for worse. If something is bothering me, and I'm not able to have close relationships with people if I can't be extremely honest and transparent with them. All of my non-Black friends know this. They We've probably had one or two uncomfortable conversations at some point. And so the way I process it is just by being transparent and honest. And I usually write about it as well. And sometimes the way I tell people how I feel is I send them something that I've either written before or something that I've read. And I say, it's really important to me that you read this or um, that you see this because this is a perspective that you, this is, this is how I feel about the situation. And this will color our interactions in a negative way, unless we're able to have a conversation about it or else I get the understanding that you understand. And I will say one of the things about, and I, I tweeted this back in the day when I was still on Twitter. I think someone said something about saying Black Lives Matter is like so divisive. And I said, is is it a bad divide though? If, if it makes it clear where someone stands and where they don't stand, because if someone communicates to me that they don't care for the term Black Lives Matter, that, you know, the whole movement is a sham. It's this entity that they can't trust. I appreciate that, you know, living in North Carolina, very purple state. I think that many non-Black people make a point to tell me that they are liberal or like, I'm not, don't worry, I'm not that guy. And a part of me is just kind of like, well, you don't even know, like, how could I could be Candace Owens. I'm absolutely not. Um, but I, another part of me is appreciative that you're kind of letting me know where you stand because now I know like, OK, that's that's cool. We can we can have a conversation. So the way I process it is I just tell people if they ask me how you're doing, you know, I, I got all these. How are you texts. If They ask me, I say, you know, this is the first time we've ever had a real conversation. I don't know you very well and you're asking me how I'm doing. Um, what are you doing? Also, why are you asking me what you should do and what you should be telling your children? I'm not a pediatrician. I am just someone that you work with in marketing. And also, you have Google. If you have questions about what type of car to buy, you wouldn't ask me. I got two text messages back to back in the wake of George Floyd's uh, we'll call murder. One was, um, hi, how are you? When do you think my kids are old enough for me to talk to them about race? Another text I got was from another white friend who said, hey, and this is a friend. Who, uh, she's a white woman. We read books often. We talk about Meghan Markle often. She said, Hey, I don't want to burden you with a lot of questions. She says, but I know you read a lot of books. And as this is a list of books I plan to read. Is there anyone that you would recommend that I read first? I looked on your Goodreads and I seen that you've read several of these. That to me is like you've already done some work. Yeah. Already like you're actually thinking about this in a real way. And You're not asking me to do any type of like, you're just asking like a friend, you're asking me about something that is native and organic to the relationship that we already have.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I love that you mentioned that because the reason why I put this journey together in the first place was because I saw sort of newly woke um, people, especially newly woke white people sort of bouncing around. In like a a bunch of these different steps, but never actually ending up like taking action, to your point. I said recently that Blackness in America is not synonymous with pain. And I agree with you that there's nothing else that I would rather be. But it does mean that we have a deep intimacy with pain and sorrow, right? We live with this experience day in and day out. And I think it's really important for people who want to be a part of this fight who want to actually work to build a better future, who want to work to dismantle racism and the oppressive system around us, they need to be able to properly access and and leverage feelings of sympathy to actually get the momentum and the motivation to do the work that is needed. So, Crystal, you know, the reason why I really wanted to talk about sympathy and why I included it in the journey is because I, I actually found it to be so missing in the wake of so many prior moments of violence against Black people in our country. One that stands out in my mind really starkly is the murder of Tamir Rice. For those who don't know, though I truly don't know how it's possible if the U.S. is the place that you call home, But Tamir was a 12-year-old black boy who was shot and killed by police in Cleveland while playing with a toy gun in the park back in 2014. Now, someone in the neighborhood had called 911 to report that someone had a gun or was waving a gun in the neighborhood, noting on the call that it was probably fake and that the person was probably a juvenile, though apparently this part wasn't communicated to the officers. Nevertheless, the policeman who responded to the call shot and killed Tamir within three seconds of arriving on the scene. I remember feeling so, so sick when I heard this one. I thought, no matter what race you are, no matter how you feel about police brutality in general, this one should have gutted you because Tamir was a child. Lots of little boys love playing with guns. Now, that's a conversation for another day in and of itself. But it just seemed like the horror and the tragedy of the moment should have penetrated the hearts of everyone in the country. But somehow it didn't. There were still people who tried to blame Tamir for his own death, said that he looked big for his age, defended the policeman's actions, the whole gamut of callous responses. And again, no real charges were filed. So the basic levels of sorrow and sympathy, either for the child or for his grieving mother, that we would expect for any human being, just weren't being universally felt or expressed. Crystal, do you recall how you reacted to that particular shooting and how it felt for you? to hear people express
1: everything but sympathy in the wake of it. I do. And what may be so somewhat surprising to hear is that my immediate thought was, maybe I heard the story wrong. Maybe I'm missing some key information. Maybe the story is being painted in an exaggerated, like yellow journalism type way. And I... I haven't decided yet. I was thinking about this earlier. I haven't decided yet if that is because I have also, um, as I mentioned earlier before, been breathing that toxic air where I also believe that there is some explanation for these things, or if it came from a sense of, um, I've noticed, especially now that since I've had a child and I did not in 2014, but I have this With Breonna Taylor, for example, I have this framework for trying to figure out how this could not happen to me and say, well, this happened to Tamir because he lives in this kind of neighborhood where police are aggressive. But I don't live in that kind of neighborhood. And I I try to, in my mind, create some type of reasoning for why this may have occurred beyond pure and simple racism. And so I would have never said many of the things that I saw. I remember on Facebook at the time. I would have never said those things. Like, you know, he was big for his age and made excuses for the police. But I did also have questions. Like, I want to know more. I want to hear more details. And that's sad because if I'm feeling that way, and I am a person with brown skin with a child that, well, when they look a bit like Samir Rice, if it's difficult for me to immediately feel sympathy, for my immediate thought is to be, well, let me learn more details. I. Can almost understand how someone else come to that same conclusion. And Tamir Rice is he, that's a very specific situation, and it was gun violence. But I think our country in general—and um, and not to all lives matter this in any way—I think our country in general is very insensitive to gun violence. This was after Newtown, and I thought in that moment that there would be a groundswell for change, and there wasn't. And so, to feel it even more deeply uh, with Tamir Rice. It was hurtful. It was difficult to hear people have those opinions. But I think for me, it was just harmful in retrospect, like looking back on it, having a bit more nuance and understanding about what I know now about just the culture of the police, which I wasn't super familiar with. And I think in my mind at the time, I believed there are bad cops and there are good cops and some bad people just do bad things. And now I understand there's really just a, a, a culture of almost like a godlike culture within that space where they believe they are the authority, they are right. And and I honestly, being super transparent, I did not truly understand that until I had an experience with police like that. Even as a Black person, knowing what I know and um, being steeped in Black history, even as someone who's a graduate of an HBCU where they turn algebra class into a Black history class, even for me, there was still a kind of a, before I went to that immediate, like, this is horrible to let me see what else is, what else happened, and so it doesn't mean that I, in any way, justify or think is appropriate the comments that I saw that w- they were completely inappropriate, even if all of those things that they suppose were true, it still doesn't justify shooting a child or anyone within three seconds of arriving, and so that was that was my immediate response, and I I, I do recall around that moment. And that was also close to the Trayvon Martin case as well. I remember there were some friendships and relationships I had with people that have to this day have not been repaired. And I don't know what could repair them because I don't think that there's been a reckoning or a reconciliation since that moment. I think the other thing that bothered me even more than that, than people's response, because to me, it's like, well, you're listening, you're paying attention was it always bothers me when there's, a, when there's someone that talks about everything on the internet. They talk about like Meghan Markle and they talk, I don't know why I bring her up again, but they talk about everything that happens in the news, except for this big thing that's on CNN all day. And it's like, we're just going to act like that didn't happen. Like To me, that's almost even more offensive because it's like, you don't even care to act like this happened. There's a teacher that i'm that I was close with on Facebook. She was my one of my high school teachers, a white woman, and she believes that she is a news alert. If something happens in the news she she shares it as if she is the person that needs to let she is ABC and I've noticed around these things she never shares these things. She never talks about these things, and she'll post something like just hanging out with my kids and it's like, you know, so though that for me actually is probably more concerning than the folks who or more deeply affecting than the people who make those justifying responses and remarks. You're so right. And we've
0: talked about this, the sympathy piece. And the reason why sometimes it doesn't occur as immediately or automatically as you might think is that we do just live in this culture that is so steeped in black lives, not mattering to the point where some people will see this news story and it's not even worthwhile to share. And it could be a combination of they don't believe it they think that there's something else and therefore they're not sharing it. But it also could just be that like, why is this news? Like, why is anybody thinking about this? This is just one exaggerated example, but there's nothing to see here. There's no news story here. Right. So I just think that's so important to, you know, for people to know that when these things happen and you don't speak up, you're actually communicating that you don't care. So if it is your intention as a non-Black person to show that you actually do care. There's no way that you can show that through silence. There's no way that you can show that by not engaging. Not only is feeling sympathy a really important part of the process, expressing sympathy is also a really important part of the process so that people know where you stand.
1: And if you're going to jump to a conclusion, I'm not sure why someone's natural response would be to jump to the conclusion on making a case against a 12-year-old that's not a natural. If you're saying, "Well, then maybe we don't know something. Maybe the kid did this," you're not saying maybe um, the police officer was a horrible person. That's not what you're saying. So, you know, there's something to be said about the justifications that you make. Absolutely. Another thing that I
0: saw in this moment as the country was sort of processing all together the traumas around George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, was after a while, you started to see this feeling where people were posting things like, I just need to take a break from all this, or let's have a positivity moment, or things. And I was just like, while I understand that instinct, it also strikes me as a bit callous a bit unsympathetic to black people who simply cannot just move on and forget that this is happening like we don't get to take breaks from systemic racism. So the idea that people who have been woke for 2 months, 3 months, 6 months are in need of a break is it's a little bit jolting to people in the black community. And 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 I think that it's important to understand why Because it's not saying that you need to stay in a permanent state of depression, devastation, et cetera. But what we are saying is that you need to sit with some of these feelings. You need to sit with the guilt. And the people who should be taking mental health breaks are the people who have been dealing with it their entire life. How can you, as an ally, leveraging sympathy Think about how you can create space for a Black person in your life to take a mental break, as opposed to talking about how overwhelmed you are by all the feelings. So to me, that's a really important tip. And I loved what you were saying, too, about the person who reaches out and says, hey, you don't actually need to get back to me. I just wanted you to know that I'm here. Or, hey, I'm reading this. If you have anything else that I should read, let me know. not adding things to your plate. I had a friend, actually, this is the best example that I can think of, of, you know, what leveraging sympathy really looks like in a productive way. And you know this, Crystal, I've been writing about race for years and years and years.
1: Can't wait for the book.
0: Right. She reached out to me and said, you have been writing some of the most powerful stuff that I've seen on the internet. But I also know that like, you are a full-time marketer, you are a wife, you are a mother, and you're in the midst of trauma. If it's okay with you, can I download all of your essays? Can I start to organize them? Because I think that they should be amplified, right? Wow. It blew me away. Wow. Because that's not just like, you know, clearly it was motivated by feelings.
1: This is a woman, right?
0: A white woman, actually, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just like, it's like, yes, I'm having these feelings and I feel regret and shame and anger and sorrow, but I'm not just going to sit in those feelings and, and let them linger. I'm going to actually think about how I can channel that feeling into a Black person in my life that I think is deserving of a little bit of space right now. So I just want to give a shout out to that friend who knows sh- who she is. And we are working on this book project together, but also to give you guys a very concrete example of of what what this can look like.
1: I think the other thing too about announcing that you're overwhelmed and you're going to take a break that troubles me, it's kind of like announcing like, I'm going to delete Facebook. It's very much about yourself. It's very attention grabbing. And I think at least some of the people who do it, I won't speak for everyone, but I believe some of the people who do it Do it just to make sure everyone knows I've been working, I've been busy, I've been focused on the task of anti-racism, and I've been doing it so much that I'm tired. And sometimes I, I totally understand you need to take a break because I think to their point, if you are a Black person who's been living this way, this is the only way you've known how to operate. This is the only existence that you've known. And it's always kind of operating at a low buzz with ranges, depending on where you live and what your experiences are. You know, it was it was at a much for me when I was at HBCU, it was at a much, it was kind of like, it was a thing that was happening, but I was in a good space. But I think for people who are just kind of newly woke, to use your term, for many of them, it is kind of like being slapped in the face several times. And it's like, whoa, like, and then they're like reading this and they're, and they're like, oh my God, did you know about redlining? And did you know that you know black babies die when they don't have a black doctor taking care of them how are you even alive considering the black maternal mortality rate like once they really get in that can that can be overwhelming i'm sure it is but i think if you want to take a break take a break but i don't know that you need to announce to everyone that you're taking a break
0: yeah so that's such a important distinction right because it's 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 not saying don't take care of yourself of right course. But don't do it in a way that actually is transferring some of the emotional labor that you need to be doing to other people, especially to other Black people. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as me, I really happen to think that some of the most useful work that aspiring allies can do is pushing others in their community to reflect on their own complicity in white supremacy and call them to commit to change. Absolutely. But as we've said, while the awareness of Black Lives Matter is higher than ever, one thing that I still hear from aspiring allies, especially those who are white, is that they find it too hard to talk to fellow white people because they don't know where to start. I actually think starting from a place of feelings can be more effective than even a place of intellect or a data argument. How do you think that aspiring allies can help to move those in their own circles towards greater sympathy for those in the Black community? And can they model this in a productive way?
1: Something I used to do to um, Eskias, my partner, when I was putting him, when we were dating and when I was basically putting him through the ringer and making sure he was as uh, woke or as progressive as I wanted, is I would present a scenario and then I would say, how would you feel if this happened? Or I'd say, how would you feel if your son wanted to go with you to a strip club? And he'd say, oh, well, you know, maybe maybe for his first time, I'll go with him just so he can have experience. I say, OK, Well, how would you feel if your daughter wanted to go with you to a strip club? Oh, no, that's inappropriate. Or how would you feel if your gay son wanted you, to go, wanted you to go with him to a gay strip club? And then he then you start to understand. Your situational comfort with different scenarios. And now it's like I'm OK with my heterosexual son having this experience because um, that's cool, but I'm not OK with this. And you realize that there's a discrepancy when you first frame it up in a way that you know that there may be comfort. So one thing that I found to be effective for non-Black people or for allies uh, along any dimension of diversity, but specifically with this one, is to frame it. How would you feel if this thing happened to your child? Or to someone that you know, someone in your life. And unfortunately, you have to, people don't have an empathy until it feels personal for them. It sh- you shouldn't have to say, this could be your son. It should just be, this is a human being. But sometimes that's the most effective way to get things done. I know within the LGBT community, many parents of the LGBT community, they did not feel comfortable with marriage equality until they found out their own kid was gay. I mean, we've, we've seen that in, in many scenarios. And so I, I think one of the ways to, frame of these conversations, instead of coming in saying Black Lives Matter and what do you think about Tamir Rice is saying, how would you feel if this specific scenario happened to your niece, your nephew, your cousin, your child, your mom, your dad? It's horrible. This is something that happens to Black people with regularity. Is that of concern to you? And if it's of concern to you when it's your family, why is it not of concern to you when this other human being has this issue? If you can do it and if you're a good narrator, it can be really effective for helping people to contextualize it in a way that that pulls those those drawstrings.
0: I think that's such a great point. I mean, we see it even um, when it comes to men showing up for women and women's rights before they have a daughter. They're like, I think this. And then it's like, well, now that I have a daughter, I do think women should be paid equally. I do think they should be able to. And it's like, well, I mean, it's problematic that you needed to have a familial relationship. It's also problematic, right? Since you already had one, your mom, right? Exactly. But sometimes it, people need to, to think about it in ways that are so close to them to be able to then broaden out the frame and see other people as equal. To as just as human as them.
1: Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's, it's also effective.
0: One of the things that I found was like very similar to you, where people were reaching out to me and saying like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. How are you? All of these things. But in these conversations, it was almost becoming as if like, because they were finally for the first time really seeing what was happening and feeling some of the sorrow associated with the state of racial injustice, it was coming out in a way that resulted in like me having to comfort them, right? Me having to help them process the pain. And I think this is the worst possible outcome because I think a newly woke white person who is so horrified by the state of injustice That they call their Black friend to help them process it and give them space to grieve is just the opposite of the direction that we want to go in, right? So I actually think it would be really great to talk about. So I love that you gave a concrete example of what it looks like when you are trying to share in the grief of the moment. You're trying to make yourself available To a black friend of yours that you know may be also grieving in a similar way, but obviously in a deeper way than you, but you do it in a way that doesn't add work to their plate, doesn't give them emotional labor to do for you, but like sort of says, I'm here and I would like to seek your counsel if you're willing to offer it, which is so
1: different. I'm booked on emotional labor until my son is 18. I'm all done. Right.
0: I'm wondering if you have any other tips, because I think that this comes up a lot for non-Black allies, the definition of sympathy being to share in the feeling, right? So what are some of the productive ways that White allies or just non-Black allies in general can share in the pain and actually engage in sympathy in ways that don't overtax their Black friends?
1: One uh, friend of mine he sent me a very long email and the best sentence in the email at the end was, you do not have to reply to this email. I just want you to know that I am thinking of you and I'm thinking of what it is to raise a son like yours. And I'm here for you if you ever need anything. And I just appreciated that he said, I am not going to transfer how I have this sudden feeling of emotion into a task, another email. We all know we have more than enough emails right now to respond to. Amen. <laughs> I know you know better than anyone. So I, it was probably the best part. I don't even remember most of what he said. It was like a whole thing about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and so forth. But I appreciated that line. And um, I did respond to him and say, I appreciate it. But um, I, I appreciated that he gave me an out and didn't give me a responsibility. And I think one of the areas where I struggle and I still really struggle with this and I don't know if this is just something I need to work on but I really struggle with newly woke people who had the internet before this year or who had black friends before this year because to me it's like, so if if it's clicking for you now, that means that before you either thought I was lying because especially you, you are much more outspoken about these things than I think probably the average person. That means you thought I was lying before, that I was exaggerating before, or you just didn't care. You believed in me, but you didn't care. Um, and I won't say names, but there were certain people. There was a pastor at a church that I attended in Los Angeles that I had very specific conversations with about these issues. And I said, "This is really important. Like, this is not something that we can set aside." And she said, "I think we need to pray about it." And the fame, the famous. Racism is a sin problem and we need to focus on the sin. And it's, I think, I don't think she said it's a sin problem and a skin problem, but close enough. Um, And then I saw in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, she said, now is the time for us to care for our brothers and sisters. And she's doing the black square. And I was so offended. Like, I almost would have rather she not said anything because I was just like, how dare you? hold this banner of care when when someone that you know came to you and had a very polite conversation with you about it and it didn't matter. And, you know, I think I shared with you a text I received from a friend, former roommate who broke our lease to work for Mitt Romney. She sent me a text saying, hey, I've been thinking about you. You were right this whole time. I just didn't believe you. My bad. Mm. <laughs> Whew. I mean, the way I process is I, I just, I don't, I, I struggle and I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be giving people tips on how to be sympathetic. Just don't be those people.
0: And sometimes you have to listen. One big thing that I think newly woke people don't understand is the deep pain that comes when you realize that you had sort of been as a black person, maybe shouting into the wind and you were not being listened to, right? What's happened in the wake of George Floyd is that like, now all of a sudden, everyone's just kind of like, whoa, what if black people were telling the truth the whole time? They're actually not making it up, right?
1: What would happen if we didn't have cell phones that captured video?
0: Right, right. And, And we talked about this actually in our first conversation for this series about awareness. We talked about the fact that like, none of this is new. Right. The only thing that's new is that it's being captured and shared around the world. And I've had I've personally had to spend a lot of time processing the feelings that you're talking about, Crystal, because while I am grateful and feel like it's a tremendous opportunity that we now have such a potential broad coalition of people who all agree that we need to do something about systemic racism, like that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Right. And I think new allies to the game want to be welcomed just with open arms only and don't want to necessarily sit in some of the discomfort around. Well, what does it mean that I'm just showing up now? Right.
1: And I think you can be welcomed without like the CEO of Chick-fil-A, I believe it was just kind of like, why do you think that you're the person to talk about this? Why would you not use your platform and give it to people such as yourself that have been doing this work for a long time? I've seen so many people that have done this work for years be kind of sidelined in favor of people that have larger platforms who like just read like how to be anti-racist for dummies, you know, yesterday. And maybe the biggest tip I can say is to listen to people of color and not just not, I should say, not just people of color, but specifically to black people who have been doing this specific work not just people who have black skin.
0: Yeah, totally agree. On From Woke to Work, when we can, we like to end with an FAQ. In this case, we mean a frequent ally question. I love it. Um, So let me hit you with this one, Crystal. Why is it so wrong to say all lives matter when someone says black lives matter? I mean, don't all lives matter?
1: Crystal, I'm gonna let you take this first. (laughs) Well, first, I'm going to speak as a marketer. I was just saying to a friend of mine, I don't understand the lack of originality here. There was no Blue Lives Matter. There was no All Lives Matter until there was a Black Lives Matter. I don't understand why we had back the blue. You could have just kept going with that. Why do we have to? Why do you have to hijack someone else's thing? Just like the 1619 Project. Now there's a 1776 Commission. You're not original at all. I don't. I don't. So that's just. From it separately, it's just like you're framing it already as a counter to something that exists when you say blue lives matter. Because here's the thing, as you know, and as anyone with any modicum of sense knows blue, first off, there's no such thing as a blue life because you can take a uniform off. My husband, my, my son, myself, I can't take off my brown skin. So that's, that's number one. But let's say that there is such a thing as a blue life. We'll say cop's lives matter. That is certainly true. Everyone's life has value. But when you're framing it as a response to a different movement that's responding to a very specific thing, you're saying that this, what I believe, is more value than what you're saying. And you're also dismissing the very real issue that there is around systemic racism in this country. And I know that's so cliche and systemic racism and privilege and so forth. But I promise you, these words are not words that people that experience them really enjoy having to use. We will love it if... When we were at work, we didn't wonder if how how we experienced something wasn't related to our gender or our race. We would love if that was just something that we never had to think about, which is why I so enjoyed my time at Howard University. However, it's not the case. And so if, if you are genuinely concerned about any specific issue in your life, if you are an advocate for breast cancer, for lupus, for anything that you, if you are really into animals, if. Someone was to respond to your love or your support for those specific things with, "Well, what about this other thing?" You would immediately say, "We're not talking about that." And so, to create an entire movement, then number one hijacks the name of someone else's movement, and then number two suggests that that this is a counterpunch. It's unoriginal. It's it's, it's lame, <laughs> and also it suggests to people that you don't recognize the initial problem that exists and you are willing to lump it in with other, with other things that simply just aren't comparable.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there, there's so many reasons why a statement like all lives matter is not helpful. But you know, a few that come to mind, it's like no one would go into a cancer benefit, run up to the stage, grab the mic and say, but I think we need to be talking about AIDS right now. AIDS is a real problem. Everyone would be like, but we're not talking about AIDS. Like, we're not discounting the other diseases when we decide to focus on cancer, but we're saying, actually, we need to talk about the epidemic of cancer in particular at this moment. So that's a big part of what's happening, right? And you wouldn't do it in that circumstance. So why would you do it here? I think the second thing though, is that it also does seem to me that in your response being All Lives Matter, you actually are seeking to discount the first thing because if someone said, carrots are vegetables, like you wouldn't say, but what about cucumbers and 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 lettuce? And like, you would just say, yeah, carrots are vegetables, Right. So the fact that the simple statement that Black Lives Matter would move you to say, no, all lives matter, I'm focusing on the no part. There is something in what I said that you don't find to be true, right? And that is a you problem that you need to work on because in a white-centered society, we don't have a lot of practice centering Black experiences, Right? Black Lives Matter is trying to center Black people in the narrative. And that feels very destabilizing to people who are used to Black people being marginalized, lumped in, if acknowledged at all. And then I think, you know, the final piece is that it just, it also to me is a really great reflection of kind of just how far we really have to go when it comes to this journey, because you're correct. All lives do matter. But when a white person is killed, there's no fear that there will be no prosecution.
1: I just watched an amazing documentary about a white family being killed. They will run to the
0: end of the earth to try to get justice for that, right? Like when a, when a police officer is killed.
1: They get a highway.
0: Right? There's no fear that that crime won't be responded to. The reason why we have to say black lives matter is when a black person is killed in a certain way, we do have a very legitimate fear that there will be no legal response because very often there isn't. So to me, if that life matters, there will be consequences. And black people are uniquely in the position where their lives do not always have
1: legal mattering. And that's what we need to be talking about. It happens too outside of pieces of police brutality where there's a lack of concern about Black lives mattering. There are so many people who, Chicago is their favorite punching bag and they have no commentary, no thoughts or concerns about Chicago until someone mentions police brutality against Black people. Then all of a sudden, what about all the, the gang killings in Chicago? Which is interesting because if you've ever done any real work in Los Angeles or Chicago or any of these cities where there is gang violence there are countless organizations that are committed. they're usually almost always black or latino led to fighting this. They do the work every day they're working with gang members there people say, well, you don't do anything about that. they've been doing it all the time. They're just not on the news and if someone is killed, just as you mentioned, if someone is killed in the black community, it may be seen as this is just another thug. They live that life that's that's what it is. that life doesn't matter either and and to me, and this is a bit controversial but one thing i really struggle with is when we attempt to create like perfect victims out of the people that die as a result of police brutality or when we change the story a bit to make it sound more sympathetic and you shouldn't have to it doesn't matter that brianna taylor wasn't actually asleep when she was shot by that cop you know i've seen all these um images and you know drawings of her like sleeping and being shot and that that wasn't what happened but it doesn't matter she was still shot by someone and it was un- it wasn't right it wasn't fair and When we get to a real place of Black Lives Matter, you won't have to say this guy was a straight A student. It won't matter. It'll just be this was a human being who was killed and it wasn't wrong. That is when we know that people really do believe Black Lives Matter, not just people with pretty stories. Black Lives Matter. Right. All Black Lives Matter. There you go. Transgender women, all of us.
0: I'm really, really grateful to you for sharing your voice here with us today. I think that I'm hoping people can take some very actionable tips away in terms of how to, one, challenge themselves to tap into sympathy, to not go numb, because we know that there will be another shooting. There will be another moment, right? And and we can never afford to treat it as if it is mundane, as if it is no big deal. Every single one should impact you. But what you do with that feeling is also really important. I'm your host, Kamala Avala-Salmon, and this is From Woke to Work. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us and for making it this far. As always, I'm Kamala Avala-Salmon, and you can follow me on social media at The ks one Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate us to help more people find the show. From woke to work was produced by me, Kamala Avila-Salmon, in partnership with Julian Lewis and TJ Bonaventura at Studio Pod. Edits were made by Nota Lab. Our amazing artwork was designed by Tommy Gomez. And this fire track I'm speaking on was produced by Dave Contrap. Until next time,